In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hey, we're going to pick it up now uh, with Adam Borneman. Some of you out there, you're, you're leading and this just feels right. Uh, my wife uh, is not the same personality as me. She's amazing. And she has a group of women that meet on Wednesday nights in our home. And uh, we've had so many deep conversations about what should I do next? You know, uh, what, what, what should we look at? What, and, and we, we pray about that. And, but it always comes back to the question of what do they need next? Mm-hmm. You know, it, and, and I think, what do you see are the, the needs of the guys in your group? Now, don't use names and telephone numbers and addresses and stuff. But what do you <laughs> see from what you're hearing about, you know, men in 2019? Uh, what do they need? Good question. You know, I made um, a decision a couple of years ago that we have such a, <clears throat> excuse me, we have such a biblical, I was going to say biblically illiterate culture, but actually what I want to say is biblically illiterate church. <laughs> um, I've decided that I'm just not going to do, fan- I'm not going to go out looking on Amazon or Cokesbury or all these websites for fancy curriculum anymore. Yeah. I'm just going to do Bible. And what I don't mean by that is me lecturing for an hour in the Bible, right. but just allowing Scripture to kind of open up some conversation and see where it goes. Mm. Um, I have found, I actually sat down with our guys last week. We had, this is sort of a reconvening morning for our spring semester. We just had breakfast together just to reconnect. It was very informal. And I asked, you know, about 15 minutes before the end of that, well, what do you guys, you know, what's, why did you say yes to this, this semester? What do you want to get out of this? I, I want to get a sense of their point of entry. And a lot of them said, I just need to be in a group. I need to have some sort of discipline of reading scripture. I'm not going to do this unless I'm with people doing it with them. Uh-huh. So, so the accountability piece of it. Yeah. So the accountability. So, so for me, what they, I think what people need, frankly, is just, is just getting back into scripture, I think is a big part of it. I don't think that's all they need. I think Bible study is one piece of a much larger, larger puzzle. That's just one that has been a good point of entry for me that I, that I keep going back to. Um, you know, it's really, if you get locked into a curriculum, it can be really stifling to the whole process. You can, uh, there's always the latest book that's supposed to somehow miraculously be universally applicable to every Christian in the world, right? <laughs> uh, it just doesn't work that way. So I always, I, I generally go to scripture and do that. But I do think the other thing that, uh, you know, the guys in my group really need, like I said earlier, is just a place of, of grace, a place where they can learn to um, receive grace and extend it, a place where they can tell the truth about themselves and about the yeah. world and not be judged for it. Yeah, there, there's just so few spaces for that. You know, the, the statistics nationwide right now, um, especially on men, are just so tragic. Um, just the isolation, loneliness, depression, suicide, drug addiction, all of these things are rapidly increasing over the last um, decade. And I see a lot of it in my own group, not necessarily the, the addiction, things like that, but I see the under the underlying causes for that. And that is the isolation of being, a, for, for example, a father of young children who ends up working 70 hours a week. There's no real point of connection with other lives. Um, there's the, So there's the work addiction, which turns into other addictions. Yeah. And so very little space for them to interact and have friendship. I think I see a lot of, um, I don't think I see, I do see. I, there's a lot of men my age 
who who just they don't have friends. I mean, they have colleagues at work, and they go home to screaming kids. Yeah. And there's nothing else in their life that kind of keeps them grounded. And I think it's vital. I think. Um, well, and, I, and what I see huge. in that too is that then just say they're married, they're coming home to all this, and what they're needing is something from their wife, her attention, her affection. What they, but what they really need, she needs something too. They really need to come in delivering, not receiving. Mm-hmm. And like you said, if if you've been giving, giving, giving <laughs> all day, all week, all month, mm-hmm. you don't have anything to give. But when you come together with a group of guys that are in the same boat, and you realize there's some normalcy to this, but you realize that God has something to give you. He has that that focus, that energy, that uh, you know what's important. Mm-hmm. Let's let's really talk about what's important now, not what's driving you, um, mm-hmm. because we have no problem thinking about what's driving us all day, right? Uh, I do. I I think you're right, and um, I see it playing out in relation in in relationships a lot. How relationships disintegrate marriages, parenting, mm. uh, when we don't put what's really important at the center of our life, right? Yeah, you know, a lot of, um, so for years now, there's been this idea of different relational spaces. So you have, you know, intimate space, personal space, social space, public space. Mm. And it's really healthy for us to have interactions in all of those spaces. And I think what happens to a lot of men is they don't have really any good interaction in any of those spaces. <laughs> the intimate space <clears throat> suffers just because of family life. You have children and all of a sudden that that just changes the dynamic. You know, you, when you have kids, you got to get remarried to the same person again. That's what I always say people is that <laughs> Renew your listen, you're going to have up. to get remarried several times along the road. And one of those is you have kids. You're going to have to. But to the same person. Yes. Yeah, okay, you're okay. getting married to the same person several times. <laughs> One of those times when you have kids, you've got to figure out how to redo this. Yeah. So that intimate space changes. Um, you know, there's maybe some social or some public space. So that'd be like getting together with a group of friends or maybe going to a concert in the park or something like that. But I, I think especially for men that um, the, the personal space suffers a lot. That's where that's what they don't have. They don't mm-hmm. have a space to just start to create trust and friendships, people they can go to. Um, yeah. And. You know, that's one of the things that I, I like to try to do. We do this with Macedonian ministry, too, with our pastors, is create other spaces for being together. So mm-hmm. it is a monthly meeting, but it's also other times where maybe you walk down the street to the bar and have a drink together, or you go mm-hmm. have a Christmas party. Or you just create other ways of being together to, to start to nurture friendships. This goes back again to not being so locked into the program that you forget about what this is really for. Yeah. Um, you know, I think some of the best discipling relationships I've had have been with people that I've been able to, you know, go have lunch with one day or a cup of coffee or go, you know, uh, you, know you name it, whatever you do, maybe play golf or tennis or something like that. That that's that's really reinforced that person's experience in a group mm. because they've it's been communicated to them that this is this is not just about a weekly or monthly meeting. Mm-hmm. This really is about you and it's about us following Jesus together. It's like two wings of an airplane. They're both vital. They're critical. If you don't have the relationship, the content doesn't matter. You sound like Charlie Brown's teacher, right? And unfortunately, I think a lot of us preachers, that's probably how we come off to to people is like Charlie Brown's teacher. But if you have (laughs) the relationship, the content means more. In other words, so we're talking about, say, tithing or marriage or something. If you can look at a group of guys and say, this is how it plays out in my life. Mm -hmm. And you can be honest and real and tangible and where else is a guy going to hear that because he probably didn't have in a lot of cases he didn't have a disciple making father Mm. 
or an uncle who really taught him all this stuff. So you get a guy who's 40 years old. He's never been discipled in, in the ways of the gospel, living out the Great Commission. So then they come into your group, and here they are. And that content and that relationship is just a beautiful thing to, I think, to help. And I think that's the majority. I mean, I have um, a, a guy who I think is going to join our group this spring who has he's in his 40s, his young children, and is a little intimidated because he's never been in a Bible study. Mm-hmm. I, think um, I think that's more guys. Than I think you. it's really common. I think it's the majority, and I think they're really hungry for it. Actually, they just need to be invited by somebody. So this concept of Bible study is what you use to kind of bring them in, so there's some understanding. But then when they get in there, if they have been in a Bible study before, I would guess that being with you, it's not like a normal Bible study because being with you is never like being normal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> being with you is never like being normal. Yeah. Uh, what's different? Let's just say if we had a uh, we were peeking in the window, stalking you guys while you're meeting. Uh, what would we see that's different in what you do with these guys versus what most people think of as I'm going to a Bible study? Uh, it's difficult to answer because I don't know what most people are doing with Bible <laughs> study. <laughs> I really don't. But it may just be as simple as what I said earlier: is that. This is not, we're not walking through a fill in the blank thing. Nothing wrong with that. But my group is, I really try to think carefully. Um, I, I formulate questions pretty carefully before I get together. And I, and you focus on questions. I really do because I think that if you can ask really powerful questions and know how to follow up, you can go deep real fast. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so for me, it re- like my, my Bible study is always, it's very communal. We're in a circle. I, I actually love the days where I talk the least, yeah. right? So if you're looking in our I'm Bible sure they study, do too. A, a good, a good, yeah, that's right. Because um, <laughs> I will ramble. I get really excited. So yeah, if you're peeking in on my Bible study, it's a good day if you're peeking in and the men are talking to each other yeah. and they're not looking at me. Yeah. And there, ah. there are techniques for how you get people to do that that are um, pretty wonderful, but Wow. I think that's the key for me. Is a, a is a good morning is when we've when we're doing that. And frankly, it's a good morning if we just looked at a couple of verses and it just took us off for the rest of the hour talking about something that was important. Yeah. And I always try to again use questions to kind of pull people one towards each other and away from me, but also to a little bit deeper space, um, which may sound a little vague, but it's because every week is so different, and yeah. it's just uh, it's about what's going on with them. And if I can, if I can take what's going on with them, go deeper, and have it intersect with the scripture that we've been reading together, that's a good week. Yeah, um, and that's not every week, but yeah, those are optimal, aren't they? So you said, as a leader, you're kind of looking at body language then of your group. Mm-hmm. What kind of body language are you looking at um, to see what's resonating, what's not, what God's doing? And I don't want to make this, you know, <laughs> look. There's three things you need to look for, but you already mentioned. <laughs> that you're looking when they start talking to the other group that's kind of that peer learning some of those peer learning mm-hmm. concepts isn't it what other what other indicators for you are the group is gelling beyond just your leading yeah so one of them is what i is what i already said and that is that they're looking at each other not looking at me at most most group leaders if you pay attention to this you'll realize that when people answer questions and when they're discussing things they'll look at you that's not a conversation. That's them responding to you as the teacher. Uh, and 
um, you know, one simple thing I one simple thing I do that works almost all the time is that if someone is doing that or the group that is a whole is doing that, when they look at you and they start talking, just start looking at other people because uh-huh. they will, they'll start turning their head. I mean, you're just you're trying to direct the conversational energy away from yourself. Okay. And they're not going to look at you if you're not looking at them. How I mean, about that? If you just turn your it's it's really amazing. There's a lot of different ways to do this. I think you know, leaning back will start to cut someone off a little bit if you're talking too much. Leaning forward will draw them in. I mean, there's there's all sorts of little techniques that um, I hope aren't <laughs> don't seem manipulative. <laughs> they just work. I mean, it's just it's just group dynamics. It, it is. It's it's group dynamics, and I think most of us have some sense of what's happening in a room. I I'm aware of some of those dynamics. I think um, you know there are, there are people I work with, and I think my wife's this way too, who reads people better than I do probably. Uh, but certainly, yeah, there there are ways to, to See if people are engaged or you know dominating or what do you do with that um, with that person in your group that seems to be the talker so to speak I mean I know every group has one and sometimes like in my group it's me <laughs> just kidding uh, but what do you do with how do you manage that so that they learn from that that the other people don't feel uh, kind of like they're hijacking the group what can you what can you do I usually cut them off, summarize what they say, said, say thank you, and ask someone else what they think about that. Okay. I really do. I'll say, okay. I'll say, oh, that's a really good point. So what you're saying is that people can dominate in a group sometimes. Well, Jeff, what do you think about that? Ah, so just turn it on to somebody else. Yeah, so that way you're not acting like it's about me and I'm trying to cut, yeah. I'm trying to take over. Yeah. But we're going to move this around the circle a little bit. Great. And the truth is, you know, this, it's easier said than done because some people just can't not just dominate. Talkers. yeah. And there are times where you have to take someone aside before or after and say, hey, listen, I love what you've been saying, but we don't have a lot of time, so we're going to have to just try to create some other space for some other people. There there are times where you, know, you have to do that. So Yeah, and I know that's not comfortable, but yeah. it's it's good for them. It's mm-hmm. good for the group. It's good for everybody. Um, yeah, I, I've had uh, scenarios like that where what I noticed was is when somebody did show up and they had lots of stories and everything reminded them of a story and you know you had an hour together an hour and a half and they took a lot of it and then you would see um another person who just was kind of observing Mm. well what i've come to realize is there's probably more happening in the person observing than the person talking and to pull that out of them by just asking them so what do you think jeff you know i do think that's a a helpful that in itself is a powerful question it is what do you think what do you think? Yeah. And and one of the most powerful questions to me is asking someone, what do you think? And they'll say something and just saying something like, well, what else? Yeah. The you know, else. There's, there's, a sim- there's simple phrases like that that can get people to think a little bit deeper about what they're saying. Mm. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, you have the dominating person. On the other hand, you might have some people who don't want to engage as much. But just simple questions like that give them a lot of freedom to just jump in where they are comfortable jumping in. Yeah. You know, another thing you said um, about... You know, a lot of this has implications for how we listen and talk too. Because I know that my personality is that I can be dominant if I'm not careful. I have a <laughs> on my email task list uh, somewhere on there. I have in all caps. It just says "shut up." It's a it's a reminder to me, like a weak reminder to me to go into a meeting and just sit and listen. I feel I like to engage. That's just my personality. So I have to remind myself to do that. There are different ways that we listen and it's important to be aware of that. So, you know, sometimes we 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 will listen for what's happening with the other person when they're talking, what's happening with them emotionally or whatever the case may be. Um, so others of us have a tendency to listen for content. So we're thinking about the thing that they're talking about, right? So we're trying to analyze whatever it is. And there's also a tendency to listen for what it means for us. 
right? So there's at least three different ways to listen to people, and none of them are wrong. I mean, none of them are inherently destructive to a conversation, but to be aware of that's really important because what you'll find yourself doing is, oh, wow, I'm almost always thinking about myself when someone else is talking. <laughs> or, wow, I'm never actually thinking about what's going on with me when someone else is talking. Yeah, I'm only thinking about how messed up they are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or, wow, I'm actually not thinking about people here. I'm just thinking about this thing, and I'm trying to figure it out for them mm -hmm. and solve their problems. So you know, there's there's different techniques and models for us to be aware of, to be not only aware of how to um, navigate group dynamics, but also to be aware of what's happening with us, you know, wow. to have an awareness of ourselves and to regulate it in some yeah. way, which is, I've actually found that's harder for me than regulating other people. <laughs> it's just being aware of what's happening with me and being honest about it. Well, self-awareness, I think, is it's it's the work of our life. Um, you know, we've got to continue to become mindful of the impact we're leaving on people and on this world. And I, I know in some of the groups I've led, there's this moment of awkward silence. You know, it's funny we never say awkward noise or awkward talking. We mm -hmm. always say something like the, like if there's silence, oh crud, somebody say something quick, even if it's wrong. You know, that's me. Yeah, and, and me. And I feel like uh, what I've experienced is, is if I ask a question, so what else? And nobody says anything, I need to be resolved to, this is going to be quiet until the time is up and we walk out because I am not going to open my mouth right now. And what I've found is that the external processors will start talking and in the process of their talking, figure out what they're trying to say. That's the external processor in my group. The internal processor, if we give them some space will actually come out with something, and it is usually profound, <laughs> and it's a gift to the group. But if we don't allow for that pause or that silence, if we feel like we got to fill it, we shut down those internal processors in our group that are the deepest wells, I think. And I would say not only allowing for it, but sometimes creating it. Because, there you go. Because, you know, creating, I, I, I'd never thought about that before. That's a good point, Mark, that I don't know why we call it awkward silence. We really should just stop calling it awkward silence. We should come up with something else. Like <laughs> it's not awkward. Well, we, you know, <laughs> call helpful. it a, a you know a, a generative silence or a creative yeah. silence or just something because that's what it is. And it is. You, you can really start to read the temperature of a group by creating silence. Mm -hmm. You can really start to see what's going on. You know, you talked about the external processors versus the inter you could start to get a sense of who those people are, but also the dynamic between people and who wants to jump in and who doesn't, and then. Those are also good opportunities to let the group talk to each other because it, it, mm. it almost I think it subconsciously signals to them that, guys, I'm, I'm not going to just do this for you. So yeah. stop looking at me when you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I found that really helpful. And it is really hard for me. It's really hard for me to let that silence just keep going. Mm -hmm. um, but I have found that the best conversations have happened when I've resolved like you to to just shut up. Yeah. Well, it's. Uh... I had a friend and I had a guy in one of my groups who said one time as he was learning how to be a disciple maker, because this group, I kept saying, guys, when you're leading your guys, you know, here's the way I would teach this or here's the thought. And so I was always putting before them that we're learning it today because you're going to teach it next next year or next mm -hmm. month or whatever. But he said to me, he said, I've realized now that disciple making is not an art and it's not a science. It's a craft. It's mm, good, and you don't. You're not just naturally good at, at it. I've never met anybody that was just a natural born disciple maker. Uh, it's. I've never met anybody that was given a formula mm. that was foolproof. So it's like a craft. It's something you've got to experiment and try. So as we um, as we close this down, what 
What advice would you give that person who's on the cusp of I've I've been in a group, I, I see what, what happens now in discipleship, and I'm feeling like God's calling me to lead. First off, I don't know how, I don't know who, I don't know when. What would you say to encourage them this morning? I would say just do it and and go ahead and mess up and fail. I mean, I really think that's important. I think there's and I think this is in our culture too, there is such a paralysis of not just analysis, but a paralysis of preparation. Wow. Um, just do it and enjoy the freedom of not being good at it, actually. <laughs> and I would say along the way, surround yourself with people who can kind of help you help you out. I think that's really important. I okay. think that, um, you know, going into this, stay stay close and stay in conversation with people who have experience with this. You know, one of the things I, I told, uh, I, I wrote advice. a piece for our pastors kind of throughout our network around the country. We put out articles every week and... I wrote a series of articles in the several weeks before Christmas, and one of them is, I said, you know, you sh- the title was, you should, play- you should go ahead and schedule this meeting for next month. And the article is about a meeting to celebrate the most effective failures from the month before. <laughs> to say, you know, what was the thing you tried that was a risk, and you knew it was, and it didn't work out? Yeah. And let's celebrate the fact that you gave it a shot. Yeah. And then and see what can we do better? How can wow. we learn from it? So to have people around you who are willing to say, I'm gonna be with you in this, and when it messes up, let's, you know, praise God. Let's yeah. try something different. So I, and I so when I say just do it, I say that to pastors too. Yeah. You know, we will just we'll run ourselves to death into the ground by planning. Yeah. Stop planning. Just just start talking to people and saying whether it's two people or 10 people, just get busy. Yeah. Gosh, you remind me when I was learning to ride a bike, three years old, Miami, Florida. And, you know, to think that to sit on the bike and to look at the bike and to talk about the bike, you're never going to learn to ride the bike. The only way to do mm. it is to get on it, start pedaling, and you're probably going to fall, but mm. it's going to be okay. You're going to get back up. Uh, I love that analogy um, that, that you're talking about of surround yourself with people that know what they're doing and then have permission to fail. Yes, permission to fail. That's what I would say to listeners. You have permission to fail. <laughs> I mean, Jesus... But you probably won't because yeah. God is in this. But you probably Well, won't. you'll look at it as a failure, but the bigger picture is that it won't be because it, mm. this is a really long arc, right? I mean, so... That's beautiful. You know, Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. You, you've got a whole life to mess this up and get better and then mess up again and just... But you'll look back at the end and say, wow, that was worth it. Yeah. But if you spend the rest of your life planning and being anxious about what might or might not happen, um, one, I'm not sure that's the most obedient way to follow Jesus. But two, I just think you'll be disappointed. <laughs> uh, yeah, Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. That's always so helpful to me. I think uh, Will Willimon um, you know, was wrote a piece one time about uh, conversion is a lifelong experience. I mean, we're just yeah. we're being converted forever. So go ahead and keep falling short along the way. It's part of our part oh, of our sanctification. You know, Jesus was surrounded by disciples who <laughs> were just terrible. I mean, oh they just my gosh. Could, um, it's easy to point our fingers at them, but I, I'm not sure we're much better by any measure. You know, they're, they're walking <laughs> around the desert bored, um, disappointed in Jesus most of the time. <laughs> they, they are because he, you know, Jesus keeps walking in the crowds and everybody's excited. And the disciples are, you know, always thinking, what, aren't you going to do something? And he's, he says, 
nope, we're getting in a boat, we're leaving. You know, <laughs> so he's already he's disappointing them all the time. You feed them, and then you know, and so then they're walking around, and on several occasions, I think the Gospel of Mark, I think it has it three times, and then, you know, so here they are. He's been performing miracles, trying to explain the kingdom to them. They're still arguing about who gets to be in power when he's in power. <laughs> I mean, it's just constant failing, yeah. and these are the people that Jesus commissions to go and make disciples, and yeah. and we're among them. I mean, we are the sent ones. We are we are with those same apostles being sent out in the world to do this, and, and we're here and God because knows of them. Mess up. That's right. I mean, they did it. They did it, and here we are. <laughs> and if they can do it, yeah, exactly. I love. I love that. Well, you are a wellspring of knowledge, my friend, and I enjoy time with you. I know our listeners are going to appreciate all that you have. And um, uh, Macedonian Ministries, I think, is a very unique ministry, reaching pastors, putting them into small groups in different places all over the country. Adam's job is to pull them together, to teach group dynamics and all mm-hmm. of that. But the best part about you, I think, is the fact that you're, you're, you're actually discipling men. You're doing it. And you're not just talking about it in theory. You're not just writing books on it, articles. <laughs> you're literally every Friday morning showing up and, and rolling up your sleeves. And I think the, that, to me, is the most impressive part about you. Uh, a lot of people talk about this in theory, um, woulda, shoulda, coulda stuff, but you're doing it, and I appreciate that. And that's why I wanted to talk to you today. So uh, if you want to get in touch, just Google Macedonia Ministries. Uh, it's in Atlanta, Georgia, Adam Borneman. <laughs> And uh, contact him. Tell him what you think about uh, what he's doing, but only if it's positive, right? <laughs> Just yeah. it doesn't matter. People stopped listening to this a long time ago. So <laughs> I love you can that. tell me whatever you I want. Love that. Well, hey, why don't you, if you would, real quick, just uh, say a prayer over those yeah. folks that are listening for us, and we'll shut this down. Gracious God, thank you for um, creating this space for us to be together. Thank you for the wonderful privilege of being able to be together without fear of persecution and um, to be able to talk about you, to talk about your good news for the world. Thank you for the wonderful luxury of this technology, which allows us to share our hearts, our minds, our thoughts uh, with so many people. Uh, We pray for those who are listening, that you would equip them and um, give us all the courage uh, to be obedient to you in the ways that you've called us to be. We know that that obedience probably looks a little bit different for all of us. So just make us attentive to your spirit and to the unique ways that you're calling us to love and serve you. We pray also for those that you are already um, calling together to be with us in this ministry, um, that you're already calling together people that we can uh, share our love um, for you with, that we can um, pour into their lives. So thank you that your spirit's already at work uh, before and behind and with us. For all these things, we give you thanks, give you praise, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of His Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Adam. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.